0: So, Shauna, a couple of weeks ago here in Colorado, there was the Leadville 100, which is a pretty famous trail race. Um, Leadville is at about 10,000 feet, a little over. And Mm. there are a number of people who participate in that race and run 100 miles, you know, anywhere from 19 hours to 30 hours, which is the cutoff. And, you know, Mm. I've gone up there. I've supported people, um, crewed for people. And again, this year, I noticed that there was a paucity of women participating in the race.
1: Oh, unfortunately, we're we're not surprised when we see those demographics come across, but I hear we have a friend of ours who is actually a finisher, and we are so glad to have her with us today. Um, Lisa, I think we're going to have a great conversation with uh, the incredible Rachel Joyce. I'm Dr. Shauna Payne-Gold, and I go by she,
0: her, her pronouns. And I'm Dr. Lisa Ingefield, and I go by she, her, hers.
1: Welcome to Unfazed, a podcast to disrupt your normal and challenge your brain to go the distance. So, Lisa, I don't know how you uh, so quickly got us in contact with Rachel, but we're so happy uh, to have her with us on the podcast. Um, we try to invite folks that can really give us a, a viewpoint of what's going on in regards to inclusion, equity, who's there and who's not there when it comes to a lot of the events that go on across the country and really around the world. And so I'm super happy to have a uh, fellow endurance sport athlete, which I could never say that I hold a a light to anything that she's ever done. The wonderful Rachel Joyce, who is a five, we've been debating whether she's a five-time or six-time finisher, but a six-time finisher of the 140.6 distance um, in Ironman, as well as one one win at Roth, and then also uh, podiumed at Kona three times, right? So I, I just want to be the person that you know shows up as the the cheerleader and the support Sherpa at Kona, like that's my goal in life, right? But to actually finish and finish three times uh, on the podium is just incredible. And Lisa, I have to tell you a funny story at Outspoken. What was it two years ago? I was standing right there talking to somebody else and I looked over my shoulder and Rachel was standing there. And it was like the first time I was starstruck because everything else I had ever seen of Rachel was all the YouTube videos of her Kona runs. And so when I look over and I see she's there, I'm like, Oh my God, what, what, what do I say? What do I say? So glad to have you here, Rachel, to, to talk about uh, your experience at Leadville.
2: Uh, Well, thanks for having me on. I'm a big fan of your podcast. So, um, It's, it's great to be be beyond and not just listening to you both.
0: Awesome. Well, we love that you're a fan and um, I am excited to have a fellow Brit on the podcast. There is a few of us here in the Colorado area who participate in endurance sports. Shout out to Melanie at Poppy Sports because I think she listens. Mm -hmm. Um, So, we're interested, Rachel, if you want to share just generally before we jump into the gender stuff, like what was it like to train and race for Leadville after, you know, finishing up and retiring from triathlon? Um, you know, you have a family now, things are different. Um, but that's a lot of time to spend running around Boulder in preparation for a hundred miles. Yeah, it was, um, it was kind of a, a, a goal,
2: like three years in the making. I retired from, um, professional triathlon and I was out for a hike with a friend and I said you know I need another goal um, and Leadville was the goal because it was kind of scary to me um, and then I had another baby and um, and then there was COVID and it was you know, I was entered for 2020 and um, so I know this isn't everyone everyone's cup of tea but this was like a present to myself to like be able to have this you know having had had kids and then during COVID like many people I was it was pretty full on having the boys at home for a chunk of time Um, and so this was my like gift to go and have 24 hours running in the mountains of Leadville and plus the whole process of getting ready for it just being able to train and discover a new sport um, it was it was more so about the process of preparing for it um, and then Leadville 100 itself was kind of like a celebration of being able to do that.
1: And Rachel, I, I resonate with what you're saying in regards to the training piece, because I remember right after I had my second son. Um, <laughs> going out and running 10 miles was like a vacation when you've been at home with the little one for a while. And so just anything to get away that really feeds your body. But I think it fed everything else even more than my body, my brain, my, you know, I could actually have an adult thought with actual sentences in my brain at that point. So I'm, I'm sure that did something for you as a, um, as, as a mom, as uh, as you always mentioned, a recovering attorney, all those things, what was, <laughs> what was your thought pattern, even as you're going through this reward for yourself? Um, it was, uh,
2: it was my quiet time in the day. And, you know, it was kind of, you know, I, I kind of love, love my boys, um, but it, it's noisy. There's very little time to actually kind of think. And so like going out for a two hour run was like, oh, I can really process some thoughts. And there's so much that has been happening in the world in the last two years. It was a good time just to kind of reflect on things happening in the world, not just with me, but just generally. And it was, um, sometimes I did, and sometimes I just switched off and um, mm-hmm. just, you know, whatever came into my head came into my head, but it was, um, yeah, it was a treat. And even mm-hmm. even on race day, I had a similar a similar feeling like it was like oh this is this is time for for me it feels relatively simple I just have to look after myself and um Mm -hmm. that was yeah uh something I really celebrated and I think that's what kept me pretty upbeat during um the ups and
1: the Mm -hmm. ups and the
2: the downs of of um
1: of the actual race as well Mm -hmm. yeah absolutely I I call my two boys um I call them love with dirt on them and they're loud and, you know, all of that. They're just, yeah, I, I can understand the the feeling of getting away and being inside yourself for a bit and just enjoying every step of that. So I really appreciate your take on that. So tell us what you noticed, you know, tell us what you noticed about the people, all of that. I'm so interested to hear more.
2: Yeah, you know, I think I, I came I was completely green when it came to ultra running. I I didn't really know how to run on a trail. And it it was kind of like, as well as learning how to train for it, it was, um, you know, I started to follow ultra races. And I think I came at it with the lens of, you know, I'm always inspired by what uh, kick-ass women are doing out there. And so I was noticing what the women were doing. And I'm like, whoa, you know, Western States, um, which was in June, like I followed that, they were following it. and so. at at first I didn't dig deep into like what what were the overall participants but I'm seeing that these women are like eight eight women in western states finished in the top 20 overall so these women are like on the scene and they are strong and they're really giving the top men a run for their money and so that was what really struck me and I kind of the, the people I'm following are mostly the women and so then just last weekend it was the UTMB and I'm seeing Courtney kind of come seventh overall in one of the toughest races so to me my first takeaway was like wow this is women are super strong at this event and they are they're really competing with the men and and in some respects um, I kind of like Courtney's attitude because she will often go into an event and it's not like I want to win the women's race. It's like, I want to win overall. Um, And which is a bit of a shift. And I think it's because of that endurance element, you're really seeing it's kind of coming to that tipping point where women are starting to be able to be the best full stop versus uh, there being a huge discrepancy. But then, um, you know, you dig a bit deeper and you see it's, the numbers aren't great when you look at the overall fields and there's very few women. And I it, that definitely struck me when I got to Leadville and I'm sitting at the athlete briefing and it's, uh, there aren't many women. You know, I'm sat with my friend EK and we've trained together, um, but really it's kind of mostly a sea of men with the odd the odd woman. And I kind of, there was a real juxtaposition there because I'm like, how come women are uh, they're featuring really heavily in the, the top finishes but overall there aren't that many women doing the sport and why is that um and I think it's like many things um it's not a simple answer there's probably you know you need to kind of look at it on multiple levels to kind of really dig into why uh women aren't you aren't seeing more equal numbers, and um definitely coming from you know when I've been looking at Iron Man in the past and wondering, you know looking at what barriers there are for women specifically um, and and generally why is it, why is it still kind of the white man that is dominating uh, the fields and you look at um I don't know is, is it kind of because that's how it's always been um is it the race directors need to take a kind of a different look uh a different approach when kind of looking for, for women entering you know what might attract them to to a race I don't know I it's difficult and but you can see it's um the fact that it's a belt buckle I kind of love that like I'm racing for a belt buckle, but I'm like, I'm never going to wear a belt buckle. It's kind of quite a, I think it's kind of indicative of like the history of the sport, that the belt buckle Mm -hmm. is what is, uh, is the big prize. It's kind of quite a masculine, big, shiny thing that, you know, I probably wouldn't usually, I I was like, why do I even, you know, when I'm in the depths of it, like, do I even want a big belt buckle? I don't know. (laughs) So... Yeah, it's not an easy um there's no easy answer and I'd love to chat, you know, get your your view on you. Lisa, you've obviously been following Leadville for a while and um what yeah. what's your what's your opinion? Well, I have many, <laughs>
0: but you know, it is interesting, the belt buckle, right? Because if you finish the race, you get a belt buckle, but if you finish under 25 hours, which you did, you get an even bigger belt buckle. So it's not like you get something different. You just get a larger belt buckle, right? Which is like, probably like reduces the likelihood that a woman is going to wear it even more because the belt buckles are already big, just the regular one. So that's a really great point. Um, but, you know, I was looking at the statistics for this year's race for Leadville and there were 680 people that started the race and that broke down as 525 men and 155 women. And then overall, 324 people finished. So it was about a 48% finish rate, which I think is a little bit lower than usual. Um, And then of the 525 men, 264 finished. So that was about 50%. And then of the women, only 60 women finished out of 155. So that was a, about a 32% finish rate, which I think is definitely lower than usual. And then if you look at the overall with the 155 women, that's about a 23% rate for women. And I've definitely seen some of those long distance, um, triathlons and other long distance trail races that have similar statistics where, um, the, you know, the number of women participating hovers around 20 to 30% and doesn't really get above that. I'm You know, I don't know whether this year, this year's numbers were affected by COVID, but certainly I could imagine, you know, like you had said, Rachel, you were qualified for 2020 and then COVID happened. And so then that bumped to 2021. So for the women who had registered and perhaps had created arrangements in their life so that they could train in 2020 and then that all went down the toilet, they weren't then able to replicate that for 2021 or perhaps childcare care of older adults. We know that falls primarily on women's shoulders, Um, loss of jobs. We know that women, you know, the the loss of women in the workforce has been enormous as it compares to folks of other genders. And so, you know, I'm wondering if any of that's playing into that 23% participation rate for Leadville. I mean, it's speculation, but I, I can't imagine it had no effect. You know, I don't know, Shauna or Rachel, whether you have thoughts on that. Um, I definitely think there's a thing of,
2: um, we're emotionally fatigued, you know, like when you go into an event like that, I think you'll have to be ready to dig so deep and we've so much has been pulling from that reserve. I can definitely see that being a big factor. It's not kind of a, it's very difficult to measure, but it's, um,
1: it was something I was definitely aware of. Yeah. I, I tend to agree with you on that. It's, um, it it's kind of like um anyone who's been a caretaker even for a short period of time it's like caretaking on a 100 million like everyone has to be that caretaker whether you're whether you're taking care of children or you're simply taking care of yourself at home and just being conscious of you know being kind of a germaphobe like our whole country has been kind of a germaphobe here um the, I think the world should be a germaphobe for a little while here until we get completely out of things but you know, you're right, we've had to be on the defense in regards to our health and livelihood for the last 18 months. And you're right, Rachel, I think a lot of folks are simply exhausted. And so finding the ability to even go out and do a 30 minute run or walking while the kids are at the playground, or even some of those smaller activities to keep your body moving have been, you know, they've been feeling quite heavy. Um, and I think part of that is because, you know, having the emotional momentum to even get out the door or put your shoes on. I, I talked to a friend of mine a few weeks ago that said she stood at her front door and just sat there and cried as she was putting on her shoes because she hadn't really gone on a long run and gosh, she couldn't even remember it had been months. She hadn't gone on a long run in months. She wasn't even sure if she should go out cause she just didn't feel mm-hmm. fit enough to do anything. And so she stood there and cried, put her shoes on and just went for a walk And, you know, thought and, you know, listened to a little bit of music and got herself together and came back. But for those of us that are used to being endurance athletes and then dialing back in anyway, seems like a natural outgrowth of emotion, you know, where we all have been. And, you know, what does I don't like using self-care too much because sometimes I think that's like really commercial um, but truly, how are we feeding ourselves? And I-, I love your your language that you used, Rachel, earlier about you know kind of rewarding oneself. You know, how are we rewarding ourselves in other ways that don't have to be led? <laughs> Not us are going to do bill, but we need to do something comparable <laughs> that kind of rewards ourselves after getting through this last year. So I, I think mm-hmm. I think you're hitting mm-hmm. on something.
0: Yeah, that emotional exhaustion I think is really important, right? Because there's been a lot of research, or at least it's it's coming out now around the strain that, um, the emotional strain that has been experienced through COVID and being at home and all of those additional responsibilities. I mean, broadly across all genders, but specifically women. And then, so if you're just tired and exhausted, the idea of then training for something probably is the straw that breaks the camel's back, right? In terms of your decision-making process around, should I Um, you know, and then some women and, and men and other folks, you know, didn't train at all during COVID. They just couldn't. So then you're thinking, okay, I'd registered for this race in 2020 or a 50 mile or a 50 K or any kind of ultra distance you roll into 2021 and you're just depleted. Right. And you're also, your endurance is gone. And so then it just feels unattainable, um, not ever, but perhaps, you know, for 2021, I think that that's an important piece of this um that we probably have overlooked in the endurance sports industry specifically.
1: Well I wonder I would love to get um Rachel's perspective on this. I wonder if it's uh, I wonder if it's part and parcel with with our sports that you know endurance is about sucking it up and not thinking about how you actually feel and pushing past whatever resistance you might have in order to really make it happen. And, you know, there, there's, there's no crying in triathlon, you know, all all those phrases that we hear that kind of um, diminish mental health and emotional health. When we are saying here that we want to embrace it a little bit more, at least face it more so that we can incorporate it into endurance sport if we can. And so I'm just I'm curious if, if emotional care is like antithetical to what endurance sport is about, but it can be what we want it to be if we decide that. Um, So, you know, I'm, uh, that is just a conundrum. I don't have a good answer for that question, but emotion is, is big. Yeah.
2: That really strikes a note with me, Shauna, because one of the, in the the briefing, one of the things is um, we're all asked to, to commit, not quit at Leadville. And it's kind of, um, I, was, I was kind of listening to it and I was definitely feeling committed to the process and doing everything I could to have the best day. But at some point there's a tipping point and where quitting is the best thing you can do for yourself because, and I was kind of a little bit uncomfortable with this commit, don't quit. Cause then like there can be, there is a time especially in a 100-mile race where that could be the best thing for you physically, emotionally, for so many reasons. And uh, I was thinking, I already knew that this was a race where you're looking at 50% of us sitting there probably aren't going to finish. And I'm thinking about how those people feel the next day, having had this drummed into them. So I was like, but it's not... I guess I'm always very processed driven and it was about the process of preparing and so I kind of wanted to say but we all think about the process it's not always the end result you know it's a much more nuanced thing and um, I kind of yeah I just it just made me feel a bit uncomfortable because I, I was thinking this is a really hard thing we probably I chose it because I didn't know if I could finish and there's courage in choosing a goal that you don't know if you can do and so I didn't want like this narrative, which said you're a if if you don't make it to the finish line, you're the quitter, because I was like bravo everyone for like choosing this audacious goal kind of thing. So I wanted there to be a pep talk afterwards too.
1: That but you know that that almost makes my makes me get a little teary because you know that's especially we we're coming on the heels of a previous conversation we had on the podcast specifically about imposter syndrome to begin with. And I don't know if imposter syndrome yeah. and not knowing if you can finish is the same thing, but I feel like they're a little bit of a Venn diagram that overlaps a little bit where um you know I come from a background that's you know not a pro athlete at all wasn't even an athlete really in high school or college and so everything is like a Leadville to you it, it feels like like my my first mile that I ran straight was a Leadville to me where it's like I don't even know if I can do this but I can at least walk that mile and then you just can kind of build and build and so it kind of goes back to um, what I shared with Lisa a few podcasts ago about a friend of mine who asked me she was doing her first 70.3 and I've done for. And she asked me, she said, when, when do you know, when are you assured that you can finish it? And I said, when you see the carpet, that's what <laughs> for, for people like us that have either been morbidly obese in our life, never been an athlete, uh, probably have not seen ourselves. So similar to your situation where there weren't too many women that you could visibly see there when you haven't seen yourself. And there's so many messages that tell you that this is not attainable And you have the courage to at least try it and see what happens. That to me is some of the depth of character and courage that frankly, a finish line isn't going to always give you. Um, And so, you know, I've, I've told some friends of mine, of course, I want to see you finish, but some of, some of my best races, they didn't feel good at the time, but some of my best races were the races that I was a DNF because I'd come so far in the training and just, I could pick any training weekend and show you something that I did that weekend that I'd never done before in life that was bigger than that finish. And so there's, I think there's uh, some emotional and and character growth, a lot of that, that occurs without a race even happening. Um, And so I'm just wanting to hear even more about what, maybe what you found out about yourself during the training um, prior to that, maybe you walked away with that even before the race began. Yeah, I think um
2: there I think there were there were a lot of firsts in in my training, you know, like running I was such as a professional traffic, I was so I didn't run on the trails because I was all about intervals. I you know, like I didn't I saw it as being something that would, you know, scrub my speed. It wasn't for me. So running on the trails was something and it was I don't like falling. <laughs> Um, so there was, there was fear, you know, I tripped, you know, there were two weekends where I tripped and, you know, landed and, um, scrubbed up my knees and things. And there was getting comfortable that that could happen. And then coming back the following week and then building my confidence back up. Cause all I could think of was I'm going to trip again. I'm going to trip again. There's a rock, you know, and then as soon as you start thinking like that, so it was rather than fearing, fearing the trail being like, this is really change." just a shift in mindset of like, it's okay. It's not about speed. This is, this is learning a new skill. It's, you can run, but this is a different kind of running and being okay with being terrible, you know, like walking the downhill at times I would go out with a friend who was really good at the downhills and just letting go of that competitive part of me who's been dropped after 100 meters on the downhill and being like but it's not about comparing myself it's about getting a bit better than I was last time I came down this this hill and being okay with people passing me all the time um and then doing like the the long distances and you know that's what I enjoyed so much about the process it was you know I didn't do any events leading up to it because that was another thing about preparing for it. Like I was always, it was, COVID was up and down and it was like, should I be traveling? Should I go and do this race? You know, I was second guessing myself. And so then simple decisions become more complicated. And so then I ended up doing all my long runs locally to Boulder, but that was super fun because my, you know, family could be involved. Um, And just lots of different things, like going out and running on my own on trails wasn't something I particularly felt comfortable with and I did coming to race day and thinking about why there are fewer like even even in the race where you know that's probably the most people you're going to see while running at night and I had a pacer who is a friend she's a woman and we were on our own a lot together and that's I'm I'm thinking we were probably thinking safety of safety things that I'm sure the guys didn't even cross their mind but we're thinking well we're in the middle of a trail on our own and she Mm. would say let's go and catch those next people because the safety and numbers and we're in the middle of a race and we're thinking that i i just think that's one thing that probably isn't going through like two guys running together um and that was definitely things i felt like when i'm on the trails on my own together and it wasn't always just people. I was like wildlife. As well. <laughs> well, I would get super nervous um, about just being on my that's, own and feeling a
1: little vulnerable. That's, that's what I was thinking about. Um, <laughs> I was thinking maybe uh, we as women might be thinking about uh, other human beings and, and wildlife while, while the, uh, the men might only be thinking about wildlife, if at all. So yeah, there, there's multiple yeah. reasons to, uh, to be on alert, but I think we have, multiple layers of that mm-hmm. um, that fear. I mean whenever I hear a bush rustle even on a paved trail, I'm like, oh oh, here yep. it comes what's happening back there? Uh, Run faster or uh zigzag what 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 do we do here? Um, but yeah, that, that's a major concern so I, I appreciate you bringing that up. now, I guess my one of my questions that I wanted to ask about was, you know, what would you say, given that you, you know, noticeably saw that uh, there wasn't as much gender diversity as we might want there, what would you say to someone to give them the courage to even try Leadville? Like, you know, what what kind of goal should they set? Why should they even consider it the way you did? Because I can hear someone else saying, well, you know, I'm not a retired pro, so why should this even be on my list? What, what would you do to encourage some other folks to try it out?
2: Um, I... I would encourage people to give it a go and other women to give it a go because um I think I would always come back to the process of preparing for it, and that was the most special part to me, like connecting I tended to run with other women and really connecting and getting outside and doing big runs with other with you know people great friends and share you know the shared experience that was a huge part of it and then it it is a crazy goal it's a hundred miles but it's not you know I I walked a ton of ton of it so it feels you're not running the entirety of it and um I kind of tuned into like I would kind of research online and um it's the, the blogs by women actually were the really helpful ones because it wasn't about ego it was like really contemplate like really reflective uh one particularly really reflective blog which was like I think more people can finish this and I want to help everyone finish Leadville and it was it didn't make it a bravado it wasn't about ego like look at me I have finished it this many times it's like I have finished it and I want you to help I want to help you finish it and this is a real like finishing guide and it was like a really no-nonsense blog that I read probably four months out and that was like okay so she's saying I can walk 70 miles of this 100 miles and still finish under the 30 mile the 30 hour um, uh, uh, cut off time and that it's kind of the opposite of the bravado that you hear like mm-hmm, and it kind of mm-hmm. was very sensible like don't go out too fast which is you know, I think we're all going to do. And it's like very like, walk this bit, walk that bit. So I would definitely encourage um, women to kind of read that and be like, yeah, I can definitely do that. And um, for me as well, it was really important. It was really important for me to kind of involve uh, the, the support crew that I had It was like my, my family was there but I had great friends there and choosing your crew can make it a fun thing for everyone. Um, and I think maybe we women think about that a bit more than the men because I, I was always worried about you know, is everyone else having a good time? Are the crew having a good time? And you can kind of make it it feels very I definitely had days where I went out for runs, and I'm kind of I was upset. I was thinking this is a really selfish goal. I've, you know, it's another day where I'm going to be out for four hours. Um, but it it showed. I think it's good to be out there doing stuff, being a, a strong woman to to my boys to show. Yeah, my my mum's going out and doing these things, and then involving them in the process meant they all felt invested and were excited about the day as well. So, um, yeah, making it for me that was what made it so fun. It was a group. It was me out there, but everyone was somehow involved in the process and we can do it ladies we are so you know women were so strong and I think we you read a. if you talk to other women that they want you to be there every woman I spoke to and the the podium for the 40 pluses we were super tight I think there was 13 minutes between us and we had a moment when we went to get our awards that it was like Yeah, it's because we're so strong. That's why we were so close. So, you know, the 40, there's a real camaraderie. And I think I want everyone, you know, to, to experience that.
0: Mm. Yeah, you raised some really just some interesting points, I think, you know, in terms of the bravado, and I'm going back to your um, comment about the commit, don't quit you know, kind of mantra, which just feels very masculine to me. And then this, well, how many lead bills have you done? How many big buckles have you done on well, Western States or UTMB or all these other long ultra races? Um, like it's, you know, you're describing the approach so differently to how I often hear about it, or I often read about these ultra races. Um, and that there's a focus on the process. And so really it isn't a, your commitment is not good or bad if you decide to step out of the race, right? Like deciding to stop, like you said, because that's the best thing for you doesn't mean that you're less committed than someone who like, you know, injures themselves and limps them their way to the finish, which we've all done probably at some point or another, <laughs> um, you know, and I just, I think there's just a different orientation the way you're describing the approach. And then I do agree that um, women, have the strength of mind and the strength of body to achieve something like that i think one of the things i constantly struggle with is that it's not necessarily enough right because we exist in a culture that doesn't support women's goals in the same way that it supports um men like for you to even feel like going out for four hours was a selfish maneuver like I'm not saying that there are probably men who feel that way, but on the whole, I would say that's not a feeling a guy gets when they're going out for their training run, whether it's for a marathon or a hundred miler, right? Or a triathlon. And so those cultural messages around selfishness, is everyone else having a good time? Um, You know, the time off work and all those constraints that exist kind of like primarily for women means that it doesn't matter how strong you are in your mind or in your body because sometimes you just can't do that and that's this like root inequity that exists across these endurance sports when we start to get into those long all day kind of iron distance um you know marathon plus racing and so it's like I it's that feels a little I get frustrated because I don't quite know how to affect the change that's needed
2: yeah and I definitely. Um would have this internal dialogue with myself because it's, the reason I feel that it's very conditioned and it's not coming from my partner, Brett, who would wholeheartedly supported me. It was probably coming from a generation, my parents' generation, where you kind of, that was something to give up, you know, like, and I, so it was, a wasn't, I knew that I didn't want, there was a discomfort and I kind of felt this pull tug, But I also was aware that that was kind of a conditioning that I was trying to kind of like let go of. But definitely it wouldn't take too much for me. You know, I have the encouragement and the support around me and I kind of also had it as my job for 10 years to do this kind of thing, which is a massive it's because it's kind of part of my identity. So it's, that's one barrier I'm not facing, but yet I still feel it. (laughs) So anyone else is, I feel it for, that's a huge thing because I kind of, am still pushing through it and I have had every step up possible. And so then you kind of, how many people do you lose? How many women do we lose to that? Just a, a feeling of, being selfish.
0: Yeah, I think it's a really important point for us to think about. And when we think, when we try to kind of provide advice or support to race directors around how do you do a better job of engaging more women, you know, it isn't just about lowering the cost to entry or the prize that you get at the end, or, you know, there's these more kind of systemic changes that need to happen that I think you can affect a little bit as a, as a race director, but, you know, it's much more complicated and nuanced than I think many of us want to think about, right? We either be like, well, we'll just, you know, two for one entry, or women just don't want to do that kind of thing. And like, that's, that's the extent of the work. Um, so we do have a long way to go. Um, and you ran a long way, Rachel. <laughs> <laughs> so we um, are super happy to have had you on the podcast. Uh, any final thoughts or words of wisdom that you would want to offer our listeners um, about this monumental goal? Um, I'm still, to be honest, I'm still processing the whole 24
2: hours because it was, I, th- I think I kind of like just zoned out for different periods. But one thing I do want to say is um you were off people when I was talking to people about how to train for this and I decided that I wanted to coach myself for it because I knew what my life is like. I didn't want to feel like I was missing training. So I could wake up on a day and decide what to do. And I got told so much like, oh, you have to be able to run 17 miles a week, otherwise you're just there's no chance. And I if you're smart with your training, you can do it in a much more time efficient way. Um You know, for me, it was a lot of combining like running and then hiking, which you can do um, with other people, with the family. And you can do the run early. And it wasn't I wasn't training 15 hours a week. Most weeks were seven hours a week. And then as I got closer, then there'd be the big hiking days. And so I think it's one of those kind of myths of like you're never going to be able to do it unless you're able to run x amount people love these big numbers but I was like if you're smart and you work to your schedule you can you can kind of come up a pl- with a plan and get it done because it's I feel like that training expectation is, a, is another barrier to people because it kind of sounds scary mm-hmm. but try it and just mess anyone like I am no expert but I would love to share any insights i got from my training what was good what was bad um so just
0: uh get in touch with me mm-hmm. great yeah um it is a barrier you're right the expectation and i think those expectations mm-hmm. are born of this bravado masculine kind mm-hmm. of um mm-hmm.
1: you gotta run seventy miles <laughs> Yeah, yeah I, I think Lisa, we, we should we should see uh, who all wants to do lead bill and how efficiently can we do it together. Uh, rather than bragging on 17, 18, 19, 20 hours of, of running, hiking. Let's see how few hours we can do it in and still get the job done.
2: <laughs> you see, that's what much
1: more impressive to me. <laughs> it's like <laughs> There yeah. you go. See, I, yeah. I think that's built into our DNA. Uh, the the uh the strength to do it and also the uh awareness of mind to have the time management to make it happen at the same time yeah
0: yeah. time management <laughs> yeah. is the skill you actually need when training for yes. an ultra race
1: <laughs> exactly, exactly there you go uh well thank you rachel this has been incredible um i cannot wait to see and maybe some folks can write into us and let us know if they make the commitment um to do Leadville next year and hopefully we can get them in touch with you so you can give them uh the the time management uh the the time management primer to getting Leadville done in what sub 30. (laughs) Sub 30 is the one. (laughs) Yeah.
2: (laughs) Good. Well, thanks so much for having me on. And I'm looking forward to keep tuning in, keep up all these podcasts. They are wonderful. And actually, kept me company on many a trail as I prepared. Awesome.
1: <laughs> Yay. Good. Oh, I will count that. all those miles. I will vicariously count all those miles that we went with you. <laughs> yes. <laughs> love it. Let me put them in my training pics right now. <laughs> yeah. Right now. Yeah. Thanks, Rachel.
0: The Unfazed Podcasts and all things Feisty Triathlon are grateful to be supported by Inside Tracker. Inside Tracker cuts through the noise of diet and wellness trends by analyzing your blood, DNA, and lifestyle to provide you a personalized, science backed, trackable action plan on how to live, age, and perform better. Inside Tracker is a simpler, cheaper, and more convenient option than traditional blood tests, and their test includes biomarkers that are key to performance that you don't get from the traditional option. What we love about them? They don't just give you data. They provide you with nutrition and lifestyle tips to take action. Inside tracker is offering 25% off their entire store to the Feisty Triathlon community. To claim your offer, go to InsideTracker.com slash Triathlon. Hey everyone, this is Dr. Lisa Ringerfield, co-founder of the Outspoken Women in Triathlon Summit. We are really excited to announce that the Outspoken Summit will be returning in 2021. This year has created an opportunity for triathletes to get back in the blocks and start to rebuild triathlon to create a more inclusive and welcoming space for all. Join us from the 12th to the 14th of November as we host a virtual summit to connect with like-minded women, center women's equity in the sport, hear from industry leaders, and develop leadership skills related to our roles in triathlon. The summit will provide a rich forum to develop strong voices, inspire others, and advocate for change in the sport we love. For more information and to sign up for the event, go to OutspokenSummit.com. We hope to see you there. Unfazed, a podcast produced by Live Feisty Media and supported by the Outspoken Women in Triathlon Summit. Edited and produced by the fabulous
1: Lindsay Glassford.
0: Email us at info at and find us on social at try to defy at DrGoldSpeaks, or at Outspoken Women and Try. I'm Lisa.
1: I'm Shauna. Thanks for listening. Stay unfazed, folks. See you next time.